I want you to note this morning Paul's closing remarks to the believers at Colossae. They remind us of the primary focus for God's church everywhere. Beginning with verse 15, Colossians chapter 4. Follow along as I read. Verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, as we come to this passage this morning, I noted it, I want you to be aware of the primary focus of God's church everywhere. Where should our attention as a church, as believers, where should our attention be fixed? What should we be making the main thing? You've heard people say, be sure to make the main thing the main thing. And whenever you hear them say that, you say, okay, tell me what the main thing is and I'll make the main thing the main thing. Well, I want to be all about this morning making sure you understand what the main thing is for us as a church, as believers. You see, we could easily get caught up in an unlimited number of activities as a church that that don't truly put the emphasis on the main thing. There are a lot of good things. There may may even be some things that are necessary for us to be doing, but they have to be rooted in the main thing and because of the main thing. Because if they aren't because of the main thing and rooted in the main thing, then they are unnecessary and worthless for our fellowship to invest our time in. So we could easily get caught up in an unlimited number of activities as a church that don't truly put the emphasis on the main thing. And some of those activities may be very helpful for us, but aren't really the main thing. So the question, what is our first priority? What is the main thing? For God's children. Where are we to put our focus? What's primary for us? Well, encapsulated in the little phrase that we've adopted and placed in the entryway, those four words, loving God, loving people, we print them on our printed materials. We try to remind you of those four words, that little statement to help you focus your attention on what the main thing is and what's important for us as a fellowship of believers But encapsulated in that little phrase, those four words, loving God, loving people, is a reminder for us of where our focus should be. Our focus should be on loving God, of course. But how do we get to that point? How do we truly love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength? And at the heart of loving God is having a relationship with God. And that leads to our obedience to His commands. You see, if you have a relationship with God, you're going to obey His commands. Otherwise, you don't love God. Of course, when we obey His commands, we will also fulfill the second part of that statement, that loving people part, because if you you get God's Word into your life and obey God's Word in your focus to love God, then you will also love people. But what's necessary for our love for God to be what it should be? What must be present in our lives for us to fulfill a a true and deep love for God and in turn have a true and deep love for people? The answer is God's Word. 
God's Word must be present and active in the life of a believer. At the very, at the very root of our love for God must be our relationship with God, and at the root of that relationship must be God's Word. It is God's Word, because if we, we have a love for God, then it is based in and founded, for, founded in God's Word. You see, God's Word must be present in our lives for our relationship to be right with God and for our love for others to be what it must be. The central focus of God's people must be God's Word. Now, now this is essential for God's children because God speaks to us through the Spirit by His Word. And His Word is where He speaks with authority and without error. And without the Word, there's no real relationship. No Word, no relationship. Without God's Word, our thinking becomes distorted by the world and by our experience. You see, because we can have experience, and if we base our beliefs on our experiences, sometimes you and I might get down in the dumps. And if you base your beliefs on your experiences, your experiences will be with your, your beliefs will be with you in the dumps. But if you base your beliefs on what God's Word says, when you're down in the dumps, when you're experiencing life's challenges and difficulties, your hopes can be high because you're, based, you're basing your beliefs on what God's Word says. And so God's Word is primary for God's children. It's focus, it should be our central focus. It's essential for us. And I want you to see this morning that Paul's main concern for the church was their relationship with God through His Word. And the passage that we just read here in chapter 4 isn't the only place in Colossians we see Paul's heart for believers to be saturated with and influenced by God's Word. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you in, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. We're talking about the word here. I'm emphasizing words in this passage because they point to the necessity of the word, and Paul talks about this throughout Colossians. In verses 9 and 10, he says he's praying that God's word will do its work in them, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And he reminds them, that they will be presented holy, they'll be presented blameless and above reproach by God if they will stay with Christ, stay firm in Christ. Colossians 1.23, Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, and listen, they will and you will stay with Christ and stay stable and confirmed and steadfast if you stay in the word. He goes on to say in verse 23, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. 
And as he did in verse 23, he also says in verses 25 and 26 that it was for the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he became a minister. He became a minister for the gospel, for the truth of God's word, to proclaim the truth. Verses 25 and 26, chapter 1. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And here's the stewardship that was given to him for for them and, and, and I for you. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God's word. And then in verse 28, Paul reminds them that it's the word of Christ. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The Word of God is what we proclaim. The Word word of God is what we teach. The Word of God is where we gain wisdom. And the Word of God is how we mature in Christ. And then in Colossians 2, Paul tells them that he wants them to have God's Word, verses 2 through 4. Look at those in Colossians 2, verses 2 through 4. He wants them to have God's word, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. My word, there's so much here about God's word. It guards our hearts and our minds from from wrong thinking and wrong teaching, doesn't it? And it gives us understanding and full assurance because we have God's knowledge from His Word. And it's with God's Word that He wants them to, verse 6, walk in Him, that is Christ, the Word. (laughs) Walk in Christ the Word, you could say. Rooted in the Word, says verse 7. doesn't say in the Word, I put that there. Rooted in the Word. Let me just do that in a few places here in verse 7. You, you look at verse 7 as I read. Rooted in the Word, built up in the Word, in Him, that is Christ, and established in the Word, that Word of in the faith, just as you were taught in the Word, abounding in the Word, which helps us be thankful, right? In thanksgiving. In verse 8, In chapter 2, he points out how he wants them to be guarded from error by the fullness that is the sufficiency of God's Word. It is completely sufficient for everything that we face in life. It is completely sufficient to help us through every day. It is completely sufficient to help us through every mountain climbing experience that we have to go through. Because He is there to help us and He has given us word to, His Word to embolden us and instruct us and inform our hearts and minds. And in verse 19, He wants them to hold fast to Christ. Hold fast to the head. Christ because Christ Jesus being the head of the church because, verse 19, from, and I put the word Him in there because we're talking about Christ, from Him, the whole body, it's nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with a growth that is from God. And it doesn't happen without the Word. And in chapter 3, I'm not going to mention, I'm not going to read any verses from chapter 3, but in chapter 3, he drives the point home that it's God's Word that helps us fix our attention on the heavenly things. 
It's, it's God's Word that helps us get our eyes off of ourself and our own sad condition at times, right? And get it on the hope that we talked about in chapter 1. It helps us fix our attention on the heavenly things. God's Word helps us kill sin in ourselves. And note that you do it in yourself. You can't kill sin in others, but you can mortify it in yourself. And you ought to seek to do so through the power of the Holy Spirit with God's Word. And it binds us together in love, says chapter 3. God's Word binds us together in love. First he talks about the family relationships, the husband and wife and the children. And then he goes on to talk about the workplace. And throughout here he's talking about the church. God's Word binds us together in love because we have God's Word and His wisdom. And it grows our relationships in Christ's likeness. Without the Word, that doesn't happen. Without the Word, our relationships are not Christ-like, are they? You know that, don't you? I'm not saying that you should try this, but put your, put your book, your Bible aside for a month and let's see where your relationships go. Don't try that, all right? Don't try that at home, as they say. Without God's Word, our relationships aren't where they should be. And it works both ways. We've got to work together. For our church to be what it ought to be, your leadership, your pastor, your deacons, your trustees, those who help make decisions about where this church ought to go, we had better be in the Word. Otherwise, we're not going to be directing this church in the proper direction. And if you don't have the Word in your family, your family's not going to, your family's not going to be the Christ-like image that it ought to be. Now, we know that you can struggle in relationships, right? And you can have all the best intentions and you can be grounded and firmly rooted in God's Word and doing the best you can to make your relationships everything that they ought to be and still they fail, right? We see that again and again in the workplace, in the home, even in the church at times. It happens, doesn't it? Why is that? It's because somebody got away from the Word. You think about that. It's because somebody got away from the Word. God's Word reminds us that we must have it as, it, as Paul makes the point in Colossians 3, get it in. Get the world out. Get your eyes on Christ. Put your eyes on the heavenly things. Get rid of the earthly things. Kill sin in your life. Make sure you use God's Word to grow your relationships with your, with your husband and your wife and your children and in the workplace and in the church. God's Word is primary. And you could be doing everything that you can individually, which is our responsibility, right? No matter what anybody else does, we are responsible to do it honors Christ in our own lives. And yet the other half of that relationship may not be any good because that other person may be rejecting God's Word and that's what happens. But can God help us bear up under the difficulty of that load of of relational heartbreak? Absolutely. And can He use that, that torn relationship for His glory? I believe He can when we go to His Word and we let His Word mend our souls. And then in chapter 4, Paul opens with a request that the believers at Colossae, he's taken the word in another direction in in chapter 4, that the believers in Colossae would pray for wide open doors to hearts and minds and lives for entry of God's word into those hearts and minds and lives. Pray for God's word to go into the hearts and minds and lives of other people. Pray for those open doors. And then the reminder that their speech should be seasoned with salt 
so that as they witness the love and mercy and grace of Christ, the gospel, the good news, as they witness that they might know how to effectively speak the truth of the word of Christ to unbelievers. And so the power of the word, you can see that the word is good for helping us point people to Christ. And as a matter of fact, it is the word that does point people to Christ. You might think that you tell people about Christ and that you point people to Jesus, but you don't do it very well without the word because it is the word that informs unbelievers of their own sin. It is the word that preaches and teaches the truth of God's redeeming love to unbelievers. It is the word that transforms their thinking. It is the word that convicts them and gives them the the heart and the head knowledge to trust in Jesus Christ. Now, there might be many ways of sharing the word, but you had better be sharing the word as you witness. It ought to be evident, first of all, in the way that we live. And then as we speak, we ought to have speech, as Paul says in Colossians 4, speech that is, what? Seasoned with salt, right? And so we know that the word is good for the witness. It's necessary. It's absolutely essential for our witness. Because the hearing of the word is how unbelievers become believers. And then he begins his final remarks in chapter 4 by holding up before the believers those who were with him helping in the ministry of the word. You see, the main concern for the church in Paul's day was their relationship with God through his word. And the main concern for the church, for God's people today, is our relationship with God through His Word. It hasn't changed. It's a really old way of doing things. There's a lot of people coming along on the church scene these days saying, we need to change things. We need to make them really different because people aren't going to listen if we don't make them really different. And I say, well, that's not how God designed people because God's Word says, preach the Word, preach the Word, preach the Word, right? And so we might change some things about church, but some things never change. We had never, we are to never stop preaching the word. And we're to never stop witnessing the word. There are methods, right? And we have lots of methods. There's a tract rack for one as you go out the back door. We recently refilled that with some new, new pieces of literature. And that's just one way that you can insert the word into your witness. It better not be the only way because it ought to be coming out of you. It ought to be oozing from your pores, so to speak. Preach the Word. Live the Word. That's how unbelievers become believers. So the main concern for the church in Paul's day is still the main concern for Higgins Lake Baptist Church. Get the Word in. And then get the Word out. Give the Word away. Teach and preach the Word and live the Word. The main concern for the church, for God's people today, is our relationship with God through His Word. That has not changed. God's people still depend on God's Word. And in Paul's final greetings here, we read a, f- a, few, a few statements that we looked at a few moments ago, and we see a few remarks from Paul and his concern and his heart for the church that they make the reading of and the distribution of, the, of and teaching of God's Word central. We see a few remarks that point to that. Go with me to the end of chapter 4 again and look at verse 15. One more time. Verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. 
Now, in verse 15, he sends his greetings to the believers at Laodicea and to Nympha. And in those days, there were no buildings that churches owned as meeting places. So, so they met in people's houses. And that's not, really not a problem because this building isn't the church either, okay? We own a piece of property, but um, you look around. I mean, we get a beautiful, uh, I like the beautiful architecture in the ceiling especially, and those beams, beautiful. And we could say, we're at church, right? We, we're at church. I'm going to church, right? And we talk about church like it's this place. But, you know, as you look around and, and admire the, the architecture, you need to realize that that's, this isn't the church. This is just a shell. I've joked with others before that sometimes I think we ought to put on the sign, um, Higgins Lake Baptist Church um, uh, meets here. Get it? Higgins Lake Baptist Church meets here. Because this isn't the church, and everybody, you know, we, our terminology leads us to believe and makes us think that this is the church. But if you look around, go ahead, look at the people, would you? And the people up front, you've been wanting to look behind you all morning. You can look at the people behind you. That's the church, okay? This is the church. And it was the same for Paul in their day. He's saying that the church that's meeting in Nympha's house, it's okay that there was no building. All right, because they're the church, not the house, not the building, and there are places that churches that meet today in homes. In verse sixteen, Paul goes on to say that that once the letter he's sending has been read, and he means read aloud, it gets read to the church aloud and taught to them. That's that's what the language indicates. Paul's teaching God's word read aloud to the church. He wants them to take their letter and send it to the church at Laodicea, and he wants the church at Laodicea to take their letter and send it to the church at Colossae. And so if I was picking a title for my message, I usually don't even waste my time picking titles for messages because that just wastes my time. But if I was going to, it'd be, read the letter. Today, read the letter. This is God's letter, right? And Paul says, read the letter, because this is God's word, this is God's teaching. This is God's truth. Read the letter. Send it to Laodicea. Get their letter and read the letter. You have the letter. As a matter of fact, you have the whole thing. You have God's word. Read the letter, right? When I was studying this passage, just jumped off the page on a why. Those, those little words. Read the letter. I was thinking about when um, Carolyn and I were Courting. I say courting because we were too far apart to date. I guess that's courting when you do it by letter, right? And I was in Charleston, South Carolina in the Marine Corps, and I was writing letters like crazy, and there was no Internet them days. There might have been Internet back in them there days. There was, there was no, no email. There was Internet, but they didn't tell us about it, I think. You know? There was no email. So it was phone calls, and those were doggone expensive because I sunk a lot of money into phone calls those days, I remember. And we wrote a lot of letters, and um, and um, I would get those letters, and I would just toss them over in the corner. I never opened them. I've still got them at home today. Never opened those letters from Carolyn. You know I'm lying, right? <laughs> Why did I open those letters? Well, for one thing, I told her a lot that I loved her. You know, and if I if I was lying. I would have taken those letters and tossed them in the corner. And my roommate in the barracks where we lived would have gone, you know, what's with him? He says he loves that girl up in Michigan, but he's not reading any of her letters. He's just tossing them in the corner. 
But I, I read them. I guarantee I read them. I read them more than once, most of them. And I still have them. I haven't looked at them in a while, but I've got them in a container over the house. You know, you want to see No, you don't see them. <laughs> I've got those letters. Now, I read those letters, and I read most of them more than once, if not several times. And if I hadn't read the letters, those who knew me at the time would have said, you really don't love her, even though you say you do. And then I wonder about God's word and how many times we go through our days and our weeks without really opening the letter and opening the letter saying, I love God and I want to love people. He gave me a letter to tell me how. I think I better read it. Read the letter. And that's what Paul's saying. Read the letter. He says to the church at Colossae, read your letter. Get it in your heads. Get it in your hearts. Start living it and then send it on to the next church and get their letter and you read that letter. Now, just as an aside note here, some Bible scholars believe that Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, was actually the letter to the church that, that he's talking about. Some think that, that, that the book of Ephesians is, is mislabeled, that it was really a more general letter it was the church, Laodicea, that got that letter, and it was a church. It was a letter that most of the churches were supposed to get, and believers were supposed to read in general. And but nobody really knows. Some really good Bible scholars say we think that actually Ephesians was that letter, but that's okay. It really doesn't matter whether that was the right letter or not, because God's word remains today. Not, it's not lost. What He wants us to have is not lost. I love what Warren Wiersbe says: instead of worrying about what we don't have, how about we apply what we do have? <laughs> You know, And so I'm not concerned about whether or not there's some letter floating around out there that belongs in our Bible. I believe we have what God wants us to have. And I think we better use what He gave us. And these letters sent to the churches are God's Word. You realize when He says, read the letter, He's talking about reading God's Word. It's God's Word. And they were; those letters were suitable for other churches. You could pick that letter up, and even though he was addressing certain problems in, in certain churches in some of these letters that we read in the New Testament, they're really general enough that they address actually problems that all people deal with. And so he says, read the letter and get the letters and read it. And read the one from Laodicea. And so these letters are God's Word. And one letter received by one church was suitable for teaching and reading to another church. And as I noted earlier, as seen throughout Colossians, Paul's desire was that God's children read and study God's Word. That God's children read and study and saturate their hearts and minds and souls with the letter that God has given them. Paul's concern and emphasis was that the church get the Word get the Word, and then that the church read the Word, that the church get it into their hearts and souls and minds, and that the Word get into the church, and then that the church give the Word out, live the Word out. You see, the church's priority has been and always will be the Word. By the work of the Word, we become God's effective ministers with the precious gospel good news of Jesus Christ. You see, we could stand around and recite four little words all day, and they won't do any good if we don't have the Word. 
We could say, love God, love people, love God, love people, love God, love people. That's a great little statement. I think it encapsulates what we ought to be all about. But you better do it with the word. And we come to the close of Paul's letter this morning and note that he sends a reminder to Archippus, this strangely named fellow. Archippus, have we thought about naming one of them? No, no, we didn't. Verse 17, and say to Archippus, say, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, we don't know what was going on with Archippus. He might have been concerned with his name. I don't know. Was, was he discouraged? Was he downcast? Was he facing difficult circumstances or difficult people? Was he, was he failing in his duties? Was he shirking his duties? Was he being lazy? We don't know. But what we do know is that there was a ministry that he had been given by the Lord. And there was this ministry that had been given to him by the Lord that he was supposed to carry out, that he was supposed to be obedient to this ministry that God gave him. And I'm here to remind you today that you have a ministry and I have a ministry and we're to carry it out. We're to fulfill that ministry. It's the same for us. And God has given us a ministry and primarily the foundation of every one of our ministries, maybe every one of us is made different. And I told a couple of people this week, I'm so thankful for people like you because I don't have a mind that can wrap my head around things like that. And God gave the church somebody like you who can wrap your mind around that and help deal with that and help give us wisdom and direction in that area. But the foundation of every person's ministry is the Word. God may be gifting you in special areas where He's not gifting me, but the foundation of both of our ministries is the Word. And the foundation of the ministry that Archippus had was the Word. And he was to be taking the Word and delivering the Word and teaching the Word is my assumption that he was, he was in, in a role of authority and, and responsibility and leadership. And certainly whether or not he was or not is beside the point. The foundation of his ministry is the Word. And God has given us a ministry. And each of us, each follower of Christ, is a minister to our families, a minister in the workplace, a minister in this community. And by the ministry of the Word in us and the Word oozing out of us in the way that we live and speak, the work of the Holy Spirit uses the Word in us and He grows us up in Christ's likeness and He uses the power of the Word to influence others toward Christ. And as His Word works in us, and His Holy Spirit unleashes the power of the Word to work in us, we're to minister faithfully, fulfilling the ministry that we've been given for God's glory. It's a ministry for God's glory, founded on God's Word. And I want you to note in verse 18, look at verse 18 one more time, closing verse in chapter 4, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. He says with my own hand because often he would dictate the letters and he would close with a statement like this at times to authenticate this is me speaking. Paul, I write this greeting with my own hand and then these three words, remember my chains. And I don't think he's saying, poor me, remember me and my chains. You know, I'm so bound up here and disheartened. I don't think that's what he means. 
Because he talks about his chains in Colossians and he ties the chains to God's word, the ministry that he's doing. And he says, remember my chains. I think he's saying, remember why I'm in chains. It's not because I'm a bad guy. It's because I'm a preacher of the gospel. Remember my chains. And you'd be one who'd be willing to be in chains too. Preach the word. Live the word. I think that's why he says, remember my chains. Not feel sorry for me. That wasn't his intention. His, his intention was, remember why I'm in chains. And it's for the ministry of the word. Grace be with you, he says. God's grace. God's grace informed by God's word. Made possible because we know what God's word says. We know his promises. Paul's reminder of his bonds is a reminder of his love for them and his love for lost souls and a reminder of the foundation of his ministry. He was in chains because he was a minister of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he was a minister because he loved people. He loved sinners. He wanted sinners to trust in Jesus Christ. And he knew the word was his ministry, and that's our ministry. We serve for the sake of lost souls who need Christ, and we minister to them the word. Paul was in chains because he cared deeply for people who needed Christ. Paul was in chains because he was a minister of the word. And it's on this note that Paul ties together the necessity of the word in the believer. Grace with you. Grace be with you. God's grace will not be with you if his word's not with you. You need God's word. Are you getting into God's word? And is his word getting into you? You see, I say that because no word in you, no relationship with God. No word in you, not true love for God, that's for sure. No word in you, no relationship. No word in you, no true love for God. And no true love for God and no love for people. Because there's no word. Get the word in. Get the word into your life. That's our calling. Make your primary focus the word. Why do we serve if it isn't for spreading the gospel, the word of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do we get the word in? And how do we get into the word? And how do we, how do we get the word into us to begin growing in our relationship with and our, and our love for God? I just want to give you some quick pointers, some quick suggestions. Because as I say, get the word in, there may be people here going, I'd love to get the word in. I, I like to read God's word, but I have a hard time understanding it at times, or I have a hard time applying it to my life, or I have a hard time staying with it. And let me just challenge you that you need to set a time in your day when you will read the word. If, if you just simply will, will methodically get a method, get a process, and say, I'm going to read through the New Testament this year. Or I'm going to read through the book of John this month. Or I'm going to read three chapters this week. Or I'm going to read two verses today. God's Word needs to be put into your life, and intentionally so. So get a plan. Make a plan. If you want help with that, please talk to me. I have lots of ideas about how to help you get into God's Word. Okay? Make a plan. Commit yourself to reading the Word. Because you can't get it in if you don't read it. And if you're struggling with reading, maybe it's eyesight. 
Maybe it's education, something like that. Maybe you're struggling with reading. There are other ways to get the word in. Talk to me, please. We'll get it to you on tape or on CD, something, okay? Get the word in. Make a plan. Get, get purposeful about it. You make time. I know you make time for other things in your life, okay? So make time. Schedule it if you must. Make time for reading God's Word. And then I've got to go back to this at all times, and I've got to remind husbands and fathers that they have a responsibility that's God-given to lead their family spiritually. And gentlemen, I want to challenge you today. If you have children at home, or even if you don't, if you're a father or a husband, you have a responsibility that's God-given to lead your family spiritually Fathers are responsible. Husbands are responsible. Men, you're responsible to lead in God's church as well. And you've got to be informed by God's Word to do so. You better be reading it yourself. And then you need to give it to your family. And I'm not suggesting that you have to preach sermons to your family. And you know, I'm saying you need to read the Word to your family. For little ones, for little ones who aren't recognizing words yet, I'd say get a little Bible storybook. And grandparents, you can help with this too. Get a little Bible storybook. And begin reading those brand new kids, those little guys who, who can't read words yet. Read them some Bible stories that, are, that, are, that help reveal God's truth to them. I've got suggestions about that too. Because there's some really good Bible storybooks for little kids these days. Really tremendous. They help get little children working through the Scriptures themselves and understanding God's Word in the ways they can understand it. And then as they grow and mature, start reading the Scriptures to them. And again, you don't have to expound on anything. You don't have to go and dissect passages and and try to help them understand everything word by word. But read the words. Read the letter. Read to your families, men. Read with your wives, husbands. As individuals, we have responsibilities. So, So ladies, whether or not your husband is leading in the family as he should, you have a personal responsibility to lead yourself and to lead your children Godward. And so I'm not suggesting that you go home and say, you're in charge, buster, and you better get it right. You know, Just pray. That's, that's what you do. You pray, and you ask God to give you wisdom, and you ask God to burden your husband's heart if he's not leading spiritually. But you better lead yourself, and you better lead your ch- children spiritually. And you better read the Word too, ladies. Men, ladies, and I'm not going to let the children off the hook either because... One of, the, one of the things I love to see when my children have started reading at the earliest ages is, the, is some of the first things they start reading is God's Word. We get them a really easy-to-read translation. And it's just a super thing. It's just an exciting thing to see a brand-new reader reading God's Word, reading the Bible. And so I know young people can read the Bible, and it thrills my soul when, when I catch my children reading their Bibles. You know, Wouldn't that be great to see your kids reading their Bible? I'm not saying my kids are perfect at all, okay? Pardon me, guys. Far from it, okay? None of us are. But when I see children reading God's Word, man, that's encouraging, isn't it? I expect you young people read God's Word. Get a plan yourself. Read a chapter a day. Do something. Read. Ask for help. I'd love to help you with that too, myself. Or your parents would be happy to help you get a plan. Read God's Word. If you need a translation of the Bible that's a little bit easier to understand, I'm all for that. I've got recommendations on that too. Husbands, fathers, you're responsible to God. You're going to answer to God as to whether or not you led your family and read to your family and encouraged your family spiritually. 
individuals, every one of us is responsible to God to read the Word, read the letter, and get it into our hearts and minds. One of the reasons I love to see little children and little babies even in our fellowship here as we preach and teach the Word, even in the sanctuary here as we read, because I, I see an opportunity in those young little minds for God's Word to do something, even at that stage of life, to hear the Word, to let the words to start to saturate their mind and their heart so as they grow and mature, the Word's already there doing work. Grandparents, aunts, and uncles, you can do the same. And here's a big way that we, where we can model This is we must obey God's Word. We can get it into our lives, but we've got to live it out. We've got to obey God's Word. These are practical things that we might not think about. Well, I'm reading the Word, but I kind of live the way I want to. I like God's Word, but I don't really let it do anything for me. As you read the Word, you better let it challenge your heart and change your life. And if you want your young people, your acquaintances, your, uh, your family members to read God's Word, they better see it's real in you as a mature leader in the family, you know, grandparents, aunts and uncles, you have a tremendous opportunity to lead your family, Christward. I, I love to hear the stories of how, how some of you have led some of your family members to Christ through your faithful witness. Take instant, intentional steps to get God's Word into your life. As Paul says in Colossians 4.16, read the letter. Read the letter. Read God's letter to you. Get into God's Word and let God's Word get into you and let God's Word get into your family. Make a plan to start reading the Scriptures to your family. It doesn't have to be lengthy. It doesn't have to be chapter upon chapter, but read a few verses to your family and say, I believe this. And for a father to say to his children, I believe this. This is God's Word. This is authoritative. And I can see where a couple of things in this verse speak to me and I need to change something in my life. And when your kids see you take God's Word and obey it, that means something to them. That will mean something to them when you begin to say, you need to read the Word, young person. You need to obey God's Word. God's Word says this. This is the way we do it in our family because this is what God's Word says. And when they see that you obey it, that comes with some authority, doesn't it? Read the letter. Read the letter. That's got to be true in the church. As we lead the church, that had better be true of our lives, gentlemen, who who are in roles of responsibility. And I say responsibility before authority because it's a responsibility. You better be reading the letter, right? We're going to come back to Colossians tonight to take one more bird's eye look, as I told you a few moments ago, for what is God's word good. It's good for quite a bit. You need the letter. In closing this morning, to help us remember the importance of and the goodness of God's word for us, I'd like to ask you to stand with me. I want you to stand with me in closing this morning. I'd like to... I'd like to read in unison something I've compiled from several passages in Psalm 119 that really declares the goodness of God's Word. And I want you to take your copy of God's Word, and I want you to hold it in the air with me this morning. You might, you might just do, do that. Grab a, your copy of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible with you, get a Bible from the, from the hymn rack. And I want you to hold God's Word up. And I want to read some words together that I compiled from several passages in Psalm 119. And and I want these, ver- these words actually based on Scripture to remind you of God, God's authoritative Word and why it's necessary. And just I want to read this together as a church because I think this is a, an important statement for us as we think about the importance of reading the letter and reading God's Word. Read with me, would you please? This is God's Word, a lamp to my feet 
a light to my path. This is God's word. In it I delight. I cannot forget it. By it my way is kept pure, for I am guarded from sin when it's stored in my heart. When my soul is laid low, in God's word I find life and bountiful delight. There are answers in God's word for the tempter who taunts me. In God's word I find understanding, and every false way is exposed. Because I love God's word, I have great peace, and nothing makes me stumble. This is God's word, giving light and understanding. This is God's word. It is firmly fixed in the heavens forever. This is God's word, for which I rejoice as one who finds great treasure. This is God's word. There is nothing sweeter to my soul. This is God's word. Amen? This is God's word. Father in heaven, this morning we've turned to your word once again. The very reason we come together on Sunday mornings to turn to your word, your book, the letter. Oh Lord, help us to never, never approach this hour in our week with a, with a, with a light attitude. Lord, help us to not take this time together lightly. Help us to take this very seriously as we come to open the letter. As we open your word. Help us to remember again and again and again, as we read your word, we see statements like the ones we just stated and read together that remind us of the goodness and complete sufficiency and the necessity of your word. And Lord, I, I realize that even the faith to believe that your word is completely sufficient is a gift, and so I ask for that, Lord, help us. Give us the gift of faith that helps us understand your word and helps us to have complete confidence in what you've written and given to us. And Lord, help us to obey your word. Help us to take it in and then help us to live it out. Lord, I pray that you would take us from this church building, take your church out these doors and spread us throughout the community this week to live your word. But Lord, begin the work in our hearts. Draw us closer to you. Strengthen our hearts and souls as we draw closer to you. And then use the word and the power of the Holy Spirit to burden our hearts, to convict us of sin, to bring us to repentance, and then, and then to burden our hearts for the lost, that we would share the word with them. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.